0: Man, I've, I've been looking forward to today, y'all. Um, my wife Sarah is back in town. She's been gone since Tuesday. Uh, she was coaching tennis down in Florida, and uh, it's it's funny because I always like am reminded of how how I don't know how to live without without her like when she's gone, and I don't know if anyone experiences that when your spouse leaves for a while, but uh, I had a really just kind of boring week without Sarah there. I don't really know what to do with myself anymore when she's gone, and so I was talking to Mosby a lot. Uh, I was like talking through the wall, and so like I'm glad that she's back in town. She's back as of late last night, um, so I'm excited that she's here, but but more than anything, man, I'm, I'm excited for this series. Uh, it's very going to be a very powerful th- series, I think, for you all. It's a series where we're looking at the book of Hosea. Uh, we're calling this Hosea... A love story. And I I believe that this this story is going to be so relevant for y'all. And at the same time, it's going to show you this amazing, amazing story of God's love. You know, when I think of stories, like the person that always comes to mind is my grandpa. Uh, My grandpa was a great storyteller. I don't say he was a master storyteller. And there's times where he would tell stories where I would ask this question... And maybe you all have people in your life, you have friends, you have family that, that tell stories like this. I'd always ask, did that really happen? And the reason his stories were so good is because partly I never knew if they were true or not. I never knew if he just had made them up. And I could tell you story after story after story of him, just these huge embellished stories that I never know if they were true. He had one story where I showed, or he shows up to this baseball stadium. And it was in the time of Babe Ruth when he was playing. And so the story goes that he was sitting in, in the outfield stands and Babe Ruth hits a home run. My grandpa, of course, is always the hero in the story. He catches this home run ball and all of these the officials and all of these police are trying to get this ball. And I don't know why they're trying to get it, but they are. And so my grandpa runs away from them, escapes the police, escapes the officials and has this home run ball of Babe Ruth. Now, coincidentally, he lost the ball at some point. But that is the story. And, and I heard that story maybe 20 times in my life. He always was a great storyteller, and I was always enthralled by the stories that he told. Uh, my grandpa had a great love story. Uh, when my grandpa was 17 years old, that's a picture of my grandpa, if that is not clear at this point already. Uh, but when he was 17 years old, uh, he walks uh, into an ice cream parlor. And so he was about, it was about time for him to graduate. Uh, he was going to enlist in the army. And so he walked into an ice cream parlor, and which is always funny to me because like he always loved ice cream. Always ate it every single night. And I don't know if you're like me, but I like I eat ice cream just about every night if I can. If it's in the freezer, it's bad. But I, I love it. And so I'm just like my grandpa in this way. And he, and he walks into an ice cream parlor. And he looks across the counter. And in, in his words, he sees the prettiest girl he has ever seen. And so he strikes up a conversation with this girl. And, and he's a pretty confident guy. And so he asks her out like right there on the spot. And she agrees. And so they go on a couple dates together. And after a few dates, uh, she asks him, she says, you know, I want you to come to school with me because I'm working on this project and I'd love for you to see it. And so my grandpa, he'd always like stop in the story at this, at this point, And he's just like, you know, I was really surprised because I thought she had already graduated. You know, she looked old enough to be out of high school. She was working in the ice cream parlor. I thought that was her job. And so he agrees anyway and he shows up and he's shocked that they're not at a college, not at a high school. But he shows up at a middle school with her. Cause she's only in the eighth grade, and she and he is about to graduate. Uh, it was a little bit of a different time, I guess, back then, and so like they they continued to date a little bit. And he's about to go to the army though, and so he he tells her he's like, "All right, I'm going to be gone for four years." And he says, "If I don't die," which he, he tells like he says, "I really believed I was going to die." He said, "If I don't die, when I come back, I'm going to marry you." And he, he always kind of commanded, so he probably said it like that. He didn't ask her. He just kind of told her he was going to marry her. I'm going to marry you in four years. And so for four years, they wrote letters back and forth. And you can imagine, he, he was serving in the Philippines, and back and forth, how long these letters would take. And when he got back into America, only three days later, they got married. And that's kind of the love story of my grandpa and grandma. For 70 years, they were married. Uh, it's, a, it's a cool love story. It's one that's kind of almost old-timey, one that doesn't really exist nowadays. Uh, my mom was also someone that, that loves a good love story. She appreciates a good love story. Uh, it's always funny to me because when we watch movies, you'll know if my mom loves the movie only if she stays awake. Does anyone fall asleep to like every movie that you watch? There's a few of you out there. I know there are. My mom is like this. Now, she, she maybe stays awake for about 5% of the movies, and if she does... There's something that she says at the end of the movie, every single time. And the credits are rolling, and if she's still awake, she'll say this. And my whole family knows this. She'll say, well, that was just a nice movie. (laughs) And I know what that means. It doesn't mean that this was any critically good movie. It had any good reviews, man, the Oscar winning. It simply means that was a nice, romantic movie. That is the only movie that is worth watching to my mom. And that means there's no unwholesome stuff, no cussing, no violence, no nudity. All that stuff is gone. It's just a nice, wholesome love story. And she'll stay awake to that movie. You know, if we made a movie on the book of Hosea, maybe kind of like those video clips that we watched. But we've made a full length movie and we got to the credits and my mom had stayed awake. I'll I'll be honest. I don't know if she would say, well, that was a nice movie. Because you see, the, the book of Hosea, is, it's quite a different love story. It's not really normal. It doesn't really jive with our normal way that we look at love and the way that we think love should look like. It, it, it's very different. It's very, you would say, abnormal. And so I'll tell you, that there might be times as we go throughout this series that you even feel uncomfortable as we go through this book. Because it, it is very kind of scandalous at times. It is uncomfortable at times, especially if you put yourself into this story. But I promise you this, if you stay with us throughout the story, it can be eye-opening in the way that you now view God's love. Uh, So we're going to jump into Hosea, man. I've really been looking forward to jumping into this book. Uh, I love this book. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, For some of you, this might be the first time you look at the book of Hosea. And if so, that's awesome. Some of you maybe no, don't know this story at all. Some of you maybe are familiar with it. But there's so much here in this first chapter that, I, that I'm excited to get into. Uh, there's, there's things like all these crazy biblical names. You know, you read names and you're like, man, why didn't they name them like just some normal names? There's there's that stuff there. There's some scandalous stuff in here. There's some hidden meaning stuff in here. There's a lot here. So you all ready to get into this? Hosea chapter 1, even if you're not, we're going there anyway. Uh, Hosea chapter 1, uh, verse 1. We'll jump right in. Uh, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Johash, king of Israel. Uh, the very first line we get here, we realize that Hosea is a prophet. You have the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. And I don't know what you think of when you hear prophets that is not a word that we use much nowadays in, in our contemporary language. Uh, when, when, I, when I heard prophet, I used to think of kind of a fortune teller. Almost like someone who tells the future. I don't, I don't know if you think in that way. And So maybe you show up with a nice shiny shekel and you give it to the, the prophet and he tells you your future. But that is not what a prophet is. And, and a lot of you know this. A prophet is someone that very much receives a message from God. And so we have the word of the Lord came to Hosea. And so this prophet, Hosea, has received a message from God and he's about to give this message to the people. And so that's when we get all these crazy names. We have Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz, Hezekiah, Johash. These names were like, man, just name your people some regular names like like Joe and Sue and Billy. Like those would be much easier. But here are these crazy biblical names, and and all this is doing is it's placing this in a time period. Uh, it'd be like nowadays if I instead of saying like you know 21st century, I would say, you know, Jonathan during we'd say the presidency of Barack Obama of the United States. Like that's kind of the idea here. And so it places this into a time period. And we, we reach our, our time period of the 8th century B.C. This is about 3,000 years ago in Israel. And so at this time, we had two kingdoms. We had the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And I'll tell you, for, for Israel at this point, they were, they were doing worldly pretty well. Their economy was good. Things were, things were great. But there was a problem with Israel. You see, they, they had fallen from God. They had rebelled against God. Judah was doing pretty well for God, but Israel, they had fallen. And there was this big northern kingdom that was coming almost to them, the Assyrians. And and Hosea is preaching this message to them saying, you all better realize what's about to happen. And you all better realize that God is the one who puts you here in the first place. And so let's read verse two. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so I want you to imagine with me that you receive a a wedding invitation in the mail. And if you're like me, you you kind of dread opening a wedding invitation, as bad as that sounds, because I don't love going to weddings, I'm just going to be honest. Like I like officiating them, it's fun doing that, but... Weddings are just kind of—they just last a long time. Um, so maybe you get this wedding invitation in the mail, and maybe you're excited, maybe you're kind of dreading it. If you're like me, and so you open it up and you start reading it, and it's very you know official, and we cordially invite you to. And you read this name, and and you realize it's your old high school buddy. So imagine with me—you have an old high school buddy. We'll call him James. And you see that old James is getting married, and you haven't been in contact with James for years. You haven't seen him. You didn't even know he was dating anyone. You definitely didn't know he was getting married. And so you decide, well, I haven't seen James in so long. I'm curious to see who he he marries. And so you decide you're going to go to the wedding. And so you show up wedding day and you go into the church and you get one of those wedding, you know, program sheets and you're reading through the program and and you go into the auditorium and you see the seats and and on the left-hand side is the bride's seats, right? And it's full of people and friends. And you go to the right side and it's the groom's side and there's like two people sitting there. There's never anyone in the groom's side. And so you go sit down on the groom's side, and you look up at James, and you, you kind of smile at James. You kind of non-verbally reconnect after so many years. And so then the wedding starts. And it's a typical wedding. You know, the bridal party walks down. Uh, you have the ring bearer. You have the flower girl, and she's dropping flowers. And everything's beautiful. Everything's great. Everything looks Fantastic. And then it came to the point where the bride's about to walk down, and that's kind of the, the the great point of the wedding. And so everyone stands up, and you know everyone does the same thing. They turn around and, the, and they look towards the door, and and the song is about to play, and you expect the bridal march to play, and instead this song plays on the loudspeakers. right, right? I mean, you were acting the way that you would. Or maybe if you were actually there, you'd be horrified. (laughs) And so this song was called Promiscuous. If you didn't catch that, it was about 10 years ago, I think. It seems like it was just yesterday. Man, I feel old. It's just yesterday that song came out. Um, But this song is about finding a promiscuous girl. And it would be a terrible song to walk to if you were a bride. (laughs) And so you can imagine people's faces like looking at each other like, oh my gosh, like what... What are you doing? And so maybe you're looking at James and you're like, dude, dude, like who's, who is this girl? Like, I don't even know her. Like, what's, what's happening? And so the wedding continues, maybe. And you're sitting there and you're a little uncomfortable at this point. And so they go to the vows. And maybe they start in the vows and they're like, you know, and it's the normal stuff. We promise to love each other and to cherish each other and sickness and in health and all of the many adulteries that we'll have. And you're like, wait, what? Wait, what? And so at this point, maybe you're like, if you could, you would pull James down, you know, from the front and be like, she'd shake him and be like, dude, you're about to make the biggest mistake of your life. Why would you marry someone like this? It's clear to everyone from that song, from the vows of what she's going to do. Why would you do that? And as crazy and as ridiculous as that, that image would be in today's world, that is the image of Hosea. Where God says, Hosea, go marry a promiscuous girl. You see, the Hebrew is even clearer than the English is. And sometimes we lose that. The Hebrew, it's very an extreme word. And this gets a little bit more PG-13. But it says, go marry a prostitute. Or even you would say whore. And it says it three times in this verse. Y'all, it was very clear to everyone around who this wife was. Everyone knew what type of woman she was. Hosea knew. God knew. They all knew what type of woman she was. So why would a man marry someone like this? I don't know of any man that would willingly marry someone like this. So maybe there's more to this story that we don't know, though. And we're only going to know if we keep on reading. All right. So Hosea 1, starting now in verse 3. And so we get the name of this woman. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblain. And she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. See, in that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And you might be saying, what is Jezreel? That's a good question. Jezreel is a palace in Israel. And there was this crazy thing that happened in 2 Kings. And we're going to read a couple verses where this man named Jehu. You saw him, J-E-H-U. Jehu goes around and he starts killing people to make a very long story short he he kills people and it's like boom you're dead uh boom you're dead boom you're dead and so he's killing these people and he becomes king because of all of this and so he kills the king of israel i don't know stabbing with a sword or spear he ki- kills the king of judah and then he kills this royal daughter and in my mind when i'm reading the story this week in second kings i'm thinking maybe hosea is really talking about the end of this story where he kills because it's almost like yeah, I, okay i can see the king And this king, but man, the royal daughter, like, what did she do? Like, she that's not even for any reason. You just killed her. I mean, so this, and I'll I'll be honest, this, this story does get a little graphic here, but I need to read these verses so you really understand what Hosea is getting at. And so Jehu, he arrives at the palace of Jezreel, and the woman, the daughter, Jezebel, is standing at the top of this palace. And his men, they have gone into the palace, and they've gone all the way to the top, and they're standing right around her. And this is what happens in 2 Kings. He said, That is, Jehu said, Throw her down. And so they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, which trampled on her. And then he went in and ate and drank, and he said, See to that cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palm of her hands, and it is gross. It is it is a terrible story. And so that is why Hosea is beginning to preach this message and saying, look at what happened at Jezreel. And yeah, it's weird that he names his kid Jezreel as a reminder of that day, but that is the reminder of look at where it started on this horrible day. A few more kids here in in verse 6 through 9. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Loruhamah, which means not loved, and its I would say it's better not pitied, translated actually. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. And after she had weaned the Loruhama, Gomer had another son. And then the Lord said, Call him Loami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Y'all, I feel bad for Hosea's kids here. Right? If you're, are you thinking that? Okay, that, that's what I was thinking to Because I do believe that this is a real person, Hosea, a real woman, Gomer, and real kids. If you're asking yourself, is this just a big image? I do think it's real people. Uh, because prophets did some crazy stuff. Um, and it doesn't take long to read throughout the prophets and see that. There's a guy named Isaiah that went around naked for three years, barefoot, just to preach his message. Prophets do crazy stuff. And so, yeah, I feel bad for the kids. And you might say, man, b- buy a baby name book or something. Like, they're all around and name them something. Like, yeah, even if it's, like, kind of hippie-ish, like flower or rainbow, like anything. But, like, not my people, not loved. Like, that's pretty sad. These kids have to carry around these names. Um, and so at the surface level of this story, man, it, it, it is pretty sad. Uh, but you'll see how these names increase Almost an in intensity here, and it's real interesting, because you have Jezreel, and that is a reminder of that terrible day where Jezebel was cast down and fell. You have lod Hama, which is not pitied, I would say. And it's almost saying God is reminding the Israelites, look, you keep on doing the same thing. I don't pity you because you keep doing the same thing. Lo-Ami. And it gets to the point where Hosea is now preaching this message saying, look, you're not even of the people of God anymore because of how far you have come. One more verse to read, and this will give you a hint at the end of the story here in Hosea. It says, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. You see, we have a hint that the story is not over. Uh, and it's kind of a sad way to start a story. I mean, you saw the video, it's kind of sad. It's, it's kind of sad in this first chapter of Hosea. But y'all, the story is not over. And again, on the surface level of this story, when we just look at Hosea and his poor kids and his wife, it's not normal. It's weird. It's a weird love story. It's not a nice movie. It's not nice. It's not great. But when we take a step back and we realize and it's pretty clear in these verses that Hosea is God in the story and that Gomer is us I'll tell you that God's love for us is also not normal. It's also not very typical. It's not what we would maybe expect. It's very abnormal. Because you see God's love for us is something that we can't really comprehend. It doesn't look like anything we realize in this world. See, God's love for us comes also without conditions of who we need to be first to be loved. God's love for us doesn't have a time period or an end. God's love is also eternal. God's love is very abnormal, very atypical. Now, many of you have probably heard of some, some of the crazy things that, that bands do, that musicians do, that, that celebrities do. And some of the things that you've maybe heard of is, when they do a show, take a musician for instance, before they do a show, maybe they have a contract, and in the contract, they'll list some, some really crazy things that they demand. Uh, something to eat, you know, in, in the back room, or something to drink. Now, some of you have maybe heard of the band Van Halen, and this is kind of a famous story. Uh, Van Halen, they had a famous clause in their contract, and they called it the Brown M&M Clause. And so here's what this actually said. So they would, they would arrive to a show, and this is what they expected. They expected a bowl of M&Ms be provided backstage, but with every single brown M&M removed. And like, what a bunch of divas, right? Like, these rock stars that are, like, hard rockers, man. A bunch of divas. Like, and at first glance, it looks ridiculous. It looks silly. Uh, there, there's a big part of this story, too. And David Lee Roth is the, the, the lead singer of this group. And someone interviewed him, and he's talking about why they put the brown M&M clause in the contract. And so he goes on about, you know, this was really for a life-and-death reason, he says. And so he talks about how Van Halen, they, man, they did this huge production when they did a show. And so they'd bring nine 18-wheelers full of, of production stuff, of lighting, of instruments, of staging. And so they, when they went into these countries and went into these different areas, they wanted to be sure that this was done correctly. And done very much to their guidelines. And so they put this weird little brown M&M clause in the end of their contract to make sure that people would have read through the entire contract and made sure that everything was specific and to them everything would be safe. And so legally they could show up to a show and if there is no, or if there were brown M&Ms, they could leave and collect payment. And it's kind of, it's weird man, but it, it makes sense at the same time. You know, and our world is full of contracts, isn't it? Y'all are very familiar with contracts, I'm sure. Uh, I have many of them. You maybe have a contract with your bank with a mortgage on your house. Uh, maybe you have a contract with your TV provider. Uh, I got locked into DirecTV one year and it was oh, a whole other story, man. Uh, maybe you're locked into cell phone contracts. Those are also the worst. Uh, business contracts. Sometimes we think of our marriage as a contract, and kind of legally it is, but that's a bad word for it. Uh, so we have all these contracts that exist in this world. Yeah, don't tell your wife it's a contract either. Uh, we have all these things in this world, and these contracts, and this is how the world is ran. And we're used to these clauses, and we can back out of this contract if this happens. But y'all, when we look at the love of God, he has no interest in contracts. You see, and sometimes we view the love of God in that way that, all right, we've got to meet these expectations, and otherwise God's going to rip up the contract and it's going to be gone. Or we have to do these certain th- things, and then we fall out of God's favor, God's love. But you see, God's love is not like a contract. It's very different than that. But sometimes we view God's love in that way. See, and instead, God's love is much more like, I would say, a covenant. I'm actually going to move down stage to do this part. So sometimes it can help to even move anyway, in case you all have fallen asleep at this point, anybody? All right, so a covenant. In Genesis chapter 15, there's, there's a really cool story about a covenant happening. And we have this man named Abraham and God. At this point, he was called actually Abram. And so God and Abraham are about to make this covenant in Genesis 15. And it's a really cool story, because back in the Old Testament, when they made a covenant, they would take an animal and actually cut it into two pieces. And they would place one piece kind of over here, we'll say, uh, and one piece over here. And you can imagine kind of the, and it's, it is kind of graphic, but the blood almost kind of flowing in the middle. And so in Genesis 15, we're going to use this because it's modern day. And I didn't want to take a cow and rip it in two. Uh, but this is a picture of a cow, if you can't tell. Uh, in Genesis 15, they made a covenant, and they took a cow, they took a ram, they took a goat, and, well, they ripped it in two pieces. And so they put one piece over here, and they put another piece over here. And so you're out this story, and it's, it's a very interesting story, because you can imagine, man, like how, how good this probably looked for other animals as they're flying around, and like, oh, man, like, thank you. And so, like, Abraham, he's, he's batting away buzzards this whole time. Uh, and once these pieces are laid out, though, and it gets to the night, and Abraham is tired from butting, from kind of smacking buzzards away for that long, that he falls asleep. I mean, you can miss this part of the story if you're not paying attention, but as you read this story, you see that once he falls asleep, you see, normally a covenant would be made and people would just walk through, and it was a seal of that promise. But when God makes that covenant with Abraham saying, "You look, all your descendants are going to be my people, he makes that covenant while Abraham is sleeping. And so while Abraham is not even paying attention, like God just kind of walks through. And he seals that covenant with Abraham. If I can give you a picture of God's love, it looks a lot more like that than, than a contract. And again, a contract says there are demands. There are lists of things that we have to do to to meet someone's expectations. And some of us do think that God has kind of ripped up your contract, you would say. And you look at your life and you you feel like your contract is null and void, it's gone, and that you have to somehow enter into God's love again. But, y'all, God's love is so much more like a covenant. Because you see the story in Hosea, where Hosea loves his wife, Gomer. And it's a love that doesn't make sense, as we said. It it isn't a nice love story, not a real neat, tidy love story. But y'all, that is exactly the way that God loves us. We are Gomer in that story. And God has chosen to love us in spite of everything that we do. And he looks at us and the song is playing very loud. In our, in our lives as we walk down towards God. And it's very clear to God who we are. It's very clear what we're going to do, that we will cheat, that we will be unfaithful to him, but he chooses to love us anyway. And so God has walked through the covenant and maybe we were sleeping on the other side. You know, maybe we didn't even care. Maybe we didn't even see God walk through the covenant, but God walked through anyway you see about 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross the beauty of that story is that God made this covenant with us that when his body was literally broken and the blood spilled out you know on that story God walked through the middle and we might have been on the other side mocking and spitting, cursing Rejecting everything that God is, but God walked through the middle. You see, God's love is, is a covenant. It's a promise. It's one that does not break. It is one without clauses, one without things that we have to do. It is very simple that God's love is God's love and there's nothing else like it. It is a never-ending promise. So we're going to sing a last song as we end the service. Um, and we're going to sing very simply about how great God's love is. Uh, and I wanted to do this kind of downstage and I, I know it's just a ripped up piece of paper. Uh, and it would be maybe more, more impactful if we actually had a cow up here, but that would be really weird. And so we, we got a, a piece of paper up here and sometimes, and I like doing this kind of stuff because sometimes it helps to get up and actually move your body actually do something and when we hear things sometimes it doesn't stick with us. And so I'm asking today if, if you want just a reminder of God's covenant for your life. If, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I need that reminder that, that God loves me you know we tell our preschoolers that god loves you but sometimes us as adults we forget that very simple promise and so if you're sitting here today and you need that reminder let me tell you god loves you and your mind usually goes to all these things god loves you if you need that reminder of that covenant that promise Maybe just kind of walk through the covenant. It's very simple. Just walk through and see what God has done through the middle. Uh, there's paper up here. Some of you all have reminders in your life. Reminders that stick out, that keep you from seeing what God has done. It's like Jezreel, Lo Loami. It's these reminders in our life that point us to what we did in our past. And if you got those reminders, maybe rip up that reminder. Place one on each side before you walk through the covenant. There's pens up here. If you want to write something down, I won't read them, I promise. If you want to write something down, rip it up, do that. It's a good start of this story. It's very simple. God's love is like a covenant. It's a never-ending promise that never ends without clauses. It's a promise that was made 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on a cross. God loves you. If you need that reminder, do that as we sing.